This is the weekend edition of Marginalia, a podcast where the pastors and staff at New City Church here in Cincinnati discuss the scribbles in the margins of our Sunday sermons, as well as whatever else is going on in the life of the church. I'm Josh Rotano, and today I'm talking with Abby Murrish. Abby, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's sunshiny, so can't complain. And it does make a big difference, that's for sure. And out in the sunshine, we have Brian Ferry, who's recording from his front porch. Brian, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It's a little chilly, but the sun is out, and so I try to be out here as much as I can. Didn't you describe your front porch as your favorite room in the house at one point? Yeah, absolutely. We didn't know that when we bought the house, but it's quickly become probably the the favorite room. You know, it's outside, uh, but it's still a part of your house, and you can see everything that's going on in the neighborhood, talk to the neighbors, all that kind of stuff. So, listener, when you're at home, if you hear uh, lawnmowers in the background or squirrel fights or whatever other kind of sounds of nature, you'll know that it's coming from uh, from from Pastor Brian's house. Birds What's, chirping, the sound of delight and joy. Yeah. Or squirrel fights. That's all I could think of. But yes, yes. Well, today uh, on Marginalia, we're talking Eastertide in the midst of Coronatide, uh, some new city stories and lots of other fun things. So welcome, guys. Really glad to talk to y'all today. Uh, Saturday is Husband Appreciation Day. Did you know that, Abby? You got any big plans? I did not know that, and I have no plans, which I feel oh, guilty about now. You should. You know, my wife starts, you know, she'll start on Sunday with 364 days of preparation for next year's Husband Appreciation Day, which I understand not, is actually... This is not husbandry appreciation, because <laughs> no. that's something else entirely. <laughs> it's different, Yeah. It is a movable feast, as they say, because it's the third Saturday of April every year. Of course, I'm just learning this too. Husband, as if as if men in our culture are not celebrated enough already. Husband Appreciation Day. Brian, you'll like this one. Saturday is also uh, Record Store Day. You have a favorite record store in Cincinnati? I really like Meta Modern Music just because it's right here in the neighborhood. Um, everybody's Records is awesome. Also, Shake It Records over in Northside. So we've got some pretty great record stores around town. And everybody's is Pleasant Ridge, right? That's right. Uh, are record stores essential, though? Or are we going to be able to get out to the record stores on Saturday? I suspect not. I may just yeah. have to buy a record online. You'll have to privately observe in your home. But you, you can buy from private record stores or local record stores online. So maybe that's I, the way I to do that. think you can do a pickup from most of these kind of stores. Like, for example, I would I would I would probably equate record stores with toy stores. And my son is currently with his uh, Easter money that he received from grandparents uh, on the way to pick up an order at King Arthur's uh, toys right now. So you just drive by you text when you get there. And they bring out your toy that you've purchased, which he's buying a seaplane, if anybody's interested. Awesome. Well, I may have to go buy some toys, if not records. April 20th is Chinese Language Day. Maybe we can get Pastor Ryan to give us a little online lesson. Ni hao. That is the extent of my Chinese that I know. I think Ryan might be offended he was not invited to participate in this banter. 
I think maybe we can do maybe a little Facebook live uh, lesson from, from Pastor Ryan on the 20th. We'll see if we can get him to do that. April 22nd is Administrative Professionals Day. So send your gift cards, listener, to uh, Amy Samad and Jeff Neal Shepard and Jenny Goodnight, uh, our administrators here uh, at the church. I'm going to miss, we've in the past had a, a fun staff lunch on those days. Uh, Someone always asks, what are we even doing this for? Well, yeah, somehow Mike Prevatera would never, Pastor Mike would forget the occasion and like halfway through the meal, look up and say, what are we doing here? What, what is this about? What are we uh, even doing this? As we're recording this later today, we are going to hear more guidelines from the federal government on what reopening might look like. All signs point to gradual, that is slow measures of reopening. And we are going to spare you the almost certain error uh, of any kind of prognosticating we might make on what that the next months of opening will look like. You can find all kinds of other people's errors if you just look around the internet on that, especially on Twitter. So we're not going to do that here. Instead, though, I do want to ask you guys, as you're thinking about the the opening up is there anything that you're i'm thinking more like sort of late spring summerish things either that you're missing right now or that you're looking forward to the possibility of getting a chance to do love to get out and go camping uh we're going to try to get to the cincinnati nature center they have um, done a little bit of reopening um, you have to reserve a spot so they're limiting the number of people that can go in and you have to hike in a clockwise direction trail so that you don't pass people so we're hoping to get out this weekend but i would love to get out and go camping and get out just do some outdoor activity that you i guess you can do it but i guess i'm too much of a rule follower to get out and do much of that like i just you know stay at home means stay at home uh question though what if you're one of those people who was raised in the digital clock generation and you just don't know what clockwise clockwise is. is it's unfairly discriminatory i believe Abby, how about you? Um, so I'm a big fan of the Crone Conservatory, and we have a membership there. So I'm excited to go back there, and then it should be time. I don't know what's happening with their butterfly exhibit, um, but I've done that the past few years. So I want to do that. And then honestly, I just like, I want to go to a coffee shop in the library. So big goals. Yeah, working at a coffee shop sounds pretty good again, doesn't it? I uh, I think for us, we had a, originally a couple of interesting trips planned for the summer that uh, are obviously in jeopardy depending on how things turn out. So I think we'd look forward to to doing a little bit of travel if and when that's safe and possible. Well, guys, it's Easter. Uh, as with Advent and Christmas, uh, Easter in the church calendar and the liturgical season is a season, right, in the liturgical calendar, not just a day. And yet, you know, people generally have more practices uh, associated with Advent or Christmas even, uh, and certainly Lent. But I have a question for you guys. What does it mean or what would it look like or what do you do to observe Easter more than just as a particular day, but as a season? So this is a pretty new idea to me of celebrating Easter as a season, um, this is pretty much the first year we've done that, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. So we're workshopping some things as a family, but first Easter this Sunday was incredibly celebratory. I felt like we were obviously sad not to be with everyone. Um, but 
I was really intentional to make a lot of like of foods that feel like feasting foods. So we like kicked off with Easter Day. That's my point. And then like I'm growing flowers from seed this year, which is really sweet to see. Um, I don't know that Barbara Brown Taylor quote is what I always think of that new life starts in the dark. Jesus in the tomb, seeds in the ground, a baby in the womb, it starts in the dark, is what she says. So seeing like seeds come to life out of the ground is really beautiful. Um, And then seeing it as a season of feasting and celebration. And so, I mean, we're not fasting in any way right now. Um, And that's really fun. So yeah, that's what we're up to. The the springtime and the the coming alive of the... the grass and the flowers makes it easy um, in that sense. We try to get outside um, as, you know, sort of been cooped up all winter, try to get out for hiking. And so we're hopefully going to get to do that this weekend, go out to the nature center, um, do some of those things. I tend to um, just read through the gospels. If you do about three chapters a day, you can do it in about a month um, to immerse myself in just the, the entire story and life and ministry of Jesus, the um, focus on the person of Jesus. So I've done that. I think a couple few years now just dove into that um, in the last couple of days is just start reading through the Gospels three chapters at a time. Um, you know, not huge swaths, but not a short amount either, not honing in on a verse or a, a small passage. Um, you know, that's that's something that's helpful for me to really immerse myself in the, the focus of Jesus over a month or so. You know, I too have um, maybe struggled with what is what does it mean to observe this season, um, maybe more than the others. You know, thinking about the liturgical calendar, all the other ones really make a lot of sense to me. You know, Advent, um, this idea of cultivating waiting, 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 like the prophets waiting for the coming of the Messiah and then the celebration of his coming, which is the 12 days of Christmas or Christmas tide, as it's sometimes called. Epiphany, we think about the life of Jesus and his teaching and what does it mean to walk with him and follow him and then Lent, his suffering, his death, his sacrifice, what the atonement is all about. Those things all make all kinds of sense. And then you think about the resurrection and this period of time. What does it mean to practice resurrection, which is Wendell Berry's phrase that Eugene Peterson picks up um, so, um, capably in several of his books. And I think uh, just wanting to preach series, uh, during the season of Easter over the last couple of years, we did first Corinthians 15 last or two years ago. No, was it last year? I can't remember. And, uh, two years ago and, um, they're blending together. We've had, um, uh, another resurrection series where we talked about the, the impact of the resurrection on different aspects of our life, resurrection in words, resurrection in forgiveness, resurrection. But this idea of thinking about what does it matter that Christ is raised from the dead and what Paul says in Romans that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also the spirit that lives and indwells the life of a believer. So what does it mean to have access to resurrection power and to focus on that? And of course that doesn't only exist during the weeks of Easter, um, but as a pedagogical tool, it's great to be able to have a period of time where you're intentionally thinking about that. What does it mean to know, experience, pray for, lean into the idea of resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is a power of God that's active in the life 
of all of his followers, which I think is a really wonderful um, thing to be thinking about. And so we're doing that again this year uh, at New City as we are um, doing this little series called Words of Resurrection, where we are focusing on not the seven last words that are often done um, in Good Friday services or during the period of Lent, the seven last words are, are his, the words from the cross words of death, you might say, words as he's dying, but these are the words that Jesus speaks between the resurrection and his ascension and focusing in on each of those and giving them some time, hopefully will be a good way for us to observe the season of Easter, observe Eastertide. And of course, light and laughter and feasts and flowers and all those kinds of things are appropriate for this season uh, as well. And uh, I really love all of that. But we started last Sunday um, on Easter Sunday, Easter proper, that is, uh, looking at John chapter 20, uh, verses 11 to 18. And this is the first recorded words of Jesus um, after rising from the dead. He speaks to Mary Magdalene and he says, uh, in the garden, as she mistakes him for the gardener, um, he says, Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? So I guess my question for you guys is what is the significance of this statement, both as these first words that Jesus speaks on the other side of, uh, of death, coming back to life, uh, rising from the dead? What is the significance of that? And then how is it helpful for us perhaps to hear these words in our present situation? This really isn't an answer to your question, but it's interesting that he asks her, why are you weeping? And doesn't just tell her to stop weeping. Uh, you know, when my kids uh, have tears or whatever, I just want to—I just want them to stop. Just, just stop. We stop what you're doing. Where Jesus engages her. And can you imagine if his first words were "Pull it together, lady"? Yeah, it doesn't have the same, uh, you know, wisdom or winsomeness to it. I mean, he meets her right where she is, uh, asks the question, you know, why are you weeping? Um, engages her, you know, right there. Yeah, I love that question because he obviously knew why she was weeping because he's Jesus. <laughs> so I think it goes to show his desire to know her and to have her communicate to him why she's weeping and to express that. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about Psalm 5 this week when it talks about the Lord hears my voice. And sometimes I'm like, why does the Lord need to hear my voice? He knows everything that's wrong with me and my fears. And I think you see that reflected here. Like he wants to hear our voices and to have them come up to him and to um, it's an act of fostering a relationship with him. And that's what he wants. Yeah. There's a um, point and I'm confusing which one it is now, but one of the Narnia stories where the uh, one of the children is considering asking Aslan for something and somebody else, you know, says, well, it doesn't, he already have his plans. Isn't he already going to do what he's going to do? And, uh, the, isn't he already going to help, you know, does he, doesn't he know what you need? And, and, uh, another one of the characters says, well, yeah, but he still likes to be asked. He likes to be asked. And, uh, the truth is, uh, God does like to be asked, but also, um, the, there's something about the process of, communication that draws us out and helps us to not only know God, but to know ourselves. Jesus does this with Mary Magdalene here in John 20. Next week, we're in Luke 24, and it's the uh, Emmaus Road story. And Jesus does the same thing, ask questions to draw them out. You know, what are you, what are you guys talking about? And then they tell him, and, you know, how, how are you, well, at first they're kind of like, they scoff at him. Like, are you the only one who hasn't heard what's happened 
you know, in Jerusalem these last few days. And he says, well, what things have happened, you know, and has them draw it out some more before he finally, you know, does the big reveal and, um, and so on. But uh, yeah, so that's a, how about hearing? So, so rather than, Hey, cut it out lady or whatever. um, He says, why are you weeping? He's, he's uh, starting where she's at uh, as he speaks to her. Well, how about for us hearing these words today? Cause we are the Holy spirit uh, through the apostle John has recorded these for us, not just to tell us about history, but also as a present way of hearing um, the words of God to uh, his people today. So why do we need to hear these words? Last night at community group, we were talking about, well, I think it's really powerful that the day of triumph in the church calendar, when Jesus has defeated death and sin, shown its power begins with a woman crying and that feels really poignant right now um when i think tears come so easily and so it's just a sweet reminder that we can hold our tears in the presence of the lord even with this good news that we know he will conquer and be triumphant well and and we've been we've been sort of binging this show called um the good place well we we just finished it and one of the things they talk about in there there's a lot of stuff that's not great in that show and it's not a uh a recipe on this is how you should live your life to get to heaven or whatever but one of the things they talk about not not a you're not developing a sunday school curriculum based on the good place not so much uh but there is one um thing that they talk about in there this idea that um, there's something about that brings life um, joy uh, when there's sadness mixed in with it. That sadness is almost the activator for um, some kind of joy. And it, it's interesting that you know it starts with a, a woman weeping. That the resurrection doesn't undo the pain of the cross or even the pain of the grief of the people. It doesn't necessarily fill that hole. Um, it vindicates it or um, takes you somewhere where you would go, but it doesn't erase the pain that you necessarily felt, um, if that makes sense. So it, it, there is this, we were having, around, sitting around the dinner table the other night and just, I was asking the kids, you know, we, we normally have a little gratitude journal that we write down things we're grateful for, but we took some time to name some of the things that were missing, some of the things that were sad for, uh, uh, lamented together. And and when you know the season is, is finished and we're on to whatever the future looks like, um, it won't necessarily undo what we have to, to engage to name it to have God even say to us, "Why are you weeping? How are you hurting now?" For us to be able to name that um, helps us get to the point where we can experience the resurrection, but it doesn't undo the suffering. You know, the resurrection doesn't undo the crucifixion. They're, you know, sort of two sides of the same coin. So you're saying Jesus still has scars. Yeah. I mean, there's that great line in crown him with many crowns, um, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. There's the, the glorified wounds. Um, yeah, after the resurrection, I mean, that's the whole thing with Thomas, right? He says, you know, here are the, the wounds are still there. They're just, they're glorified somehow, you know, whatever that looks like. Dostoevsky has a line and I'm, I'm butchering it in my paraphrase here, but he says something along the lines that he believes that caught up in the kingdom, um, the kingdom will somehow be more joyful for the pains experienced on the journey, uh, to get there. I, I don't, 
I, I don't know exactly how to conceptualize of that, but I think there is something to what you're saying there. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to um, be too specific about what that might mean um, exactly. Uh, but I think he's probably onto something in that, you know, in that somehow glory. I mean, Philippians two is, is uh, captures some of this as well. And Paul Miller's written a book about this called the J curve, um, where he talks about the, the arc of Jesus life becomes the arc of the life of the faithful, where you start with, um, you know, Jesus, and Philippians two, you know, being in, in heaven and he, um, condescends, right. He, he pours himself out in order to take on flesh and walk among us. And that descent continues even further, even further till he, he dies for us. Right. He, um, he doesn't just take on flesh and walk among us, but he is suffers all the pains, uh, of sin and ultimately the judgment of God, but then he's exalted, you know, above everything. And that somehow the exaltation and the glory is even greater for the, uh, for the sacrifice, uh, that he makes. And, um, and Paul Miller talks about that experience being the, the path, uh, of the, the Christian life as well. Um, which again, I have, hard time making sense of exactly what that means or how that works metaphysically or ontologically, so to speak. But the, the concept I think rings true in some fashion or another. How does this story and back to Mary Magdalene, John 20 um, fit into the, the bigger arc of what's happening in the Bible? Just if somebody's new and they heard the sermon on Sunday and we're kind of wondering what this is all about. How would you guys place this in the bigger Bible storyline? Something just kind of gets at the question. So we'll do the Michael Scott. I'll start talking. We'll see where this goes. Um, <laughs> something I've been thinking about is that there's space between the resurrection and ascension and that there's something to that, that Jesus wants us to grapple with the fact that he like wants us to sit with the fact that he was raised from the dead. And I don't know. And what does that mean then for our world? It's that that's a foretaste of what's to come when he returns. I'm not sure, but I just am struck that like, there's this odd amount of time between his resurrection and ascension that we need to sit with. Um, and so I think this story plays into that. I mean, like, I was thinking a lot about the Matthew narrative of the resurrection when the angels like come and see where he lay, um, that he wants us to like realize that he was dead and now he is alive and not to lose sight of that. And I think that's partially what's happening here. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, in some sense, this is the, the vindication that Jesus is who he said he was all along that you have, um, you know, this, this proof, so to say, um, of all the talk and all the teaching and all the, I mean, all the miracles and things he did were great. Those were the signs. This is, you know, coming out of the signs series. This was the ultimate sign pointing to who he was, the vindication that all that he said um, has authority, that, that, that this is, you know, yeah, right. He, he said he can forgive your sins. How do you know he can do it? Right. He said, Oh, I'm making a place for you in heaven. How do we know he can do it? The resurrection is the vindication of that, of his teaching of what he claimed about himself. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, anybody can say those things, you know, but here is the, the proof that the, the sins are, are 
conquered. Death is conquered. Um, this is the the vindication, the proof of those statements. And in some ways, uh, so if we think about it through the the lens of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, this story kind of sits at the the bridge between redemption and restoration, right? On the one hand, it's that Gregory the Great passage that um, talks about the, the story in the garden with Mary Magdalene as being the um, the redemptive storyline uh, undoing sort of the, uh, or, or healing, let's put it that way, uh, what happened in Genesis 3. Um, you know, in Genesis 3, he makes a comparison, you know, it's a woman who brings the news of death into the world that comes from the serpent through the woman to the man. And here we have now from Jesus words of life and resurrection transmitted in a garden uh, from a woman to the apostles, right? And and then ultimately to the world. So we have this uh, sort of tying up the ends, the redemptive, the healing storylines of the work of Christ. But then also now he's the firstborn of many brothers. He's the first to rise from the dead and the dead will rise at the end. And so he's the beginning. He's the first new man. Um, the beginnings of the new humanity, the beginnings of the new heaven and new earth begins with his resurrection and uh, is the hope of our own. And so really beautiful kind of bridge passage, um, you know, in the Bible tying up those kind of things. Just one last thought on here. One last question, I guess. Um, How does this story, um, Mary Magdalene, Jesus in the garden or in the, by the tomb, she takes him for the garden or all this kind of stuff, all the things that happen here. How does this um, help form us, shape us in thinking about our mission in a, coronavirus, coronatide, quarantine world? I mean, very basically and very obviously, like the good news we bring to our neighbors and our communities is the news of a risen Lord. And that it's not a well-constructed worldview. It's not a strong theology of suffering, even though I think Christianity offers all those things. But what, like the good news is that our Lord was dead and he is risen. Yeah, uh, you said yeah, it well. Yeah, it's difficult because, you know, Mary goes from the tomb and starts spreading the word. Um, and we've got this physical distancing where we can't be around people necessarily to run from the tomb and um, and share what's going on. But, you know, to be a witness, you, you know, starting just starting to read the Gospels, you know, here you have John the Baptist. You know, it was John. John was a witness. He was not the Christ. He was pointed to the Christ. You have, um, you know, Andrew, who the first thing he does is he goes and tells Peter. Uh, and then you've got, I mean, the first thing that everybody does is at the beginning is they say, hey, we found the Messiah. That was in the early days. The first thing Mary does is she goes and she goes, hey, talks about the resurrection. And so there's a sense in like, oh, to be a witness. I mean, this is like, you know, good news. You share it. I mean, how many, how much have people been sharing the John Krasinski, some good news. I mean, when you hear good news, like you want to share it. It's delightful. And you, uh, you know, there's some real traction with it. I think sometimes the good news of the resurrection feels old hat because we've been celebrating it and talking about it for a couple thousand years, but it's still just as potent if we would let it sink in um, as it's always been. Well, maybe I'll transition us here with um, just a closing thought on Easter with um, Malcolm Geit's new poem. Is it Geit, Brian? Is that how you say it? G-U-I-T-E? Do we know how to say his name? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be my guess. I, I don't know exactly. I've read it and read his poems for years, but uh, this is, I've never pronounced it out loud. I don't think uh, he's written a couple uh, well, he's, he's his own books, of poetry. He's also a clergyman in church of England and a uh, chaplain at a university in, in England as well, but, but quite an accomplished poet. Um, but he wrote a, a poem called Easter 2020 and I'll, I'll read it to you now. And where is Jesus this strange Easter day? Not lost in our locked churches anymore. Then he was sealed in that dark sepulcher. The locks are loosed, the stone is rolled away, and he is up and risen long before, alive at large and making his strong way into the world he gave his life to save. No need to seek him in his empty grave. He might have been a wafer in the hands of priests this day or music from the lips of red-robed choristers. Instead, he slips away from church, shakes off our linen bands to don his apron with a nurse. He grips and lifts a stretcher, soothes with gentle hands. The frail flesh of the dying gives them hope, breathes with the breathless, lends them strength to cope. On Thursday, we applauded for he came and served us in a thousand names and faces, mopping our sick room floors and catching traces of that virus, which was death to him. Good Friday happened in a thousand places where Jesus held the helpless, died with them, that they might share his Easter in their need. Now they are risen with him, risen indeed. We're going to take a short little break here and come back in just a moment all right we are back uh this week's marginalia episode is brought to you by well i think something um that all of you uh listening are probably have heard about and are interested in people are talking about being clean more than ever i like to be clean abby you like to be clean i do brian not so much, but absolutely, nobody, absolutely. nobody thinks about uh, cleanliness these days without thinking of Clorox disinfecting wipes. Talk about a multitasking clean it all. Clorox disinfecting wipes remove germs, bacteria, kitchen grease, and countless other nasties you find lurking in your home. Claims to kill 99.9% of germs that can live on surfaces for up to 48 hours, 99.9% of viruses and bacteria. I hope there's one particular virus it does well with. It kills staph, E. coli, salmonella, strep. Available in three cents, ladies and gentlemen. Crisp lemon, orange fusion, and fresh scent. Any of those appeal to y'all? No, they say no. They say no, no with the mics on. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a crisp lemon person. Uh, you wouldn't think they need to do advertising uh, during these uh, difficult days, but there you have it. They uh, are kind enough to sponsor. Uh, do you guys have a favorite? Brian, I, I did not know you were a cleaner, but uh, do you guys have a favorite cleaning product? Well, I do have a question about Clorox wipes. What's that 0.1%? it doesn't clean. That's a little suspicious in times like these. Bubonic plague, I believe, is the one thing it doesn't get, fortunately. By the way, we are not medical experts of any kind. You should not. uh, I'm reading from the product description. You should not. uh, We we are not liable for uh, 
your use or misuse of Clorox. Uh, I like Dr. Bronner's soap. You ever use Dr. Bronner's? It's, you can use it for all kinds of stuff. And the bottle has this crazy ranting, raving writing all over it. It's insane. It's really awesome. We use it to wash the dog. Use it to wash my hair. Use it to wash- so we are a big fan of a product called Odoban. It can be purchased at your local Home Depot. Um, so we like make our own wipes with Odoban because it is far more effective than Clorox. No disrespect yes. to our sponsors. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. They're going to take their money right back. It, it, it gets that 0.0001%, yeah, whatever well, that This is, is what I'll tell y'all is that when our basement flooded a few years ago with Norwood sewage and water, that is what they cleaned it with. So if it can handle the Norwood flood, I think it can handle COVID-19, but be careful, like read those warning labels. Cause if you don't dilute properly, we learned you have a really bad cough for a week, which is concerning in these times. Good to know. Good to know. Also, please don't take any medical advice from, uh, this podcast. Uh, if you're yes. <laughs> listening along, uh, I'm a big fan of, um, the wet Swiffers, you know, that you can use. I'm, I, I hate, the whole concept of uh, mopping. I just hate it. I hate a bucket of water. I hate the sloshing around. I hate all that. I And, and you squeezing it out, all that kind of stuff. I hate it, but I do like the Swiffer wipe that you can, you know, use on, uh, use on wood floors and such, but, and tile, I guess as well. But all right, well, we are going to talk a little bit about new city stories. So something I have been struck by during this time is that, we are in a period of history making, unlike other seasons of our lives. I was a Marco Poloine with Abby Brown, and we both had this realization that an episode of The Crown might be made about this time of our lives. Um, and so that just, that's been on my mind that we're writing history in some way and our decisions to stay home um, have the opportunity to have a big impact in what we're doing. But it also then made me think that there's some, we need some way to preserve what's happening in the life of our church during this time, especially since we're not gathering and sharing our stories person to person as we normally would. And so because of this, um, we decided at Josh's idea to collect new city stories to preserve what's going on. And in a few minutes, we're going to share a few of those, but you can find all of them on our YouTube channel, newcitycincy.org slash YouTube. So I had a question for you guys, and that is from a pastoral perspective and like church formation perspective, why do you think it's important that we're collecting and preserving these stories? Well, the Holy Spirit is still at work in the world. Um, it's going back to where, where do we, how do you understand the storyline of the Bible? Um, we are still uh, in participating in the storyline of the Bible um, because we are uh, live on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection, but on the front end of um, the restoration of all things. And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. The gospel is going out. The kingdom is growing and expanding and experiencing all kinds of wounds and suffering and difficulty and setback and hardship along the way. But uh, in that time, the spirit's at work. And that's part of the story that needs to be told. One, to encourage 
um, ourselves, but also for the glory of God, uh, to um, call attention to what it is that God is doing in the world and in our lives. And so it's, it won't do simply to just read the pages of scripture and just stop. Um, but we have to, one, try to apply those things to our current situation, but then also to look and see, have eyes to see. Um, you know, there's the line that C.S. Lewis has, like the world is crowded with him, you know, crowded with God. If we would have eyes, if we would come awake and stay awake, he says. And so very often uh, it's in the stories of, of other people, brothers and sisters that you can sense and um, come awake to the presence of God in, um, in their life, but then in your own life as well. It gives you eyes to see. Or like Hopkins says, Christ plays in 10,000 places. This is uh, one of these opportunities for us to connect and hear each other's stories where ordinarily we might be doing this in the hallways of the church building or in times gathered. Um, And so we maybe are in the habit of telling stories in a little bit different way. And so this this is an extraordinary opportunity to capture them for posterity, but also to, to in some meager way, make up for the loss of the stories that are told in our goings on um, when we are meeting together. So don't you think our great grandchildren are going to see these in the time capsule when it's in the new city at the hundredth anniversary or whatever, you know, we'll unveil these Abby, Brian, I'll be dead for like 40 years by then, but Abby, you can walk up there with your cane and <laughs> present these on the big screen. That's right. They'll be in holograms or whatever by that time. But So I would encourage anyone in our church, well, anyone period, but since we're talking to our listener, um, as you watch these stories on YouTube or listen to them in a few minutes, like take some time to ask those questions about how is God at work in your life now. And some of them, what I loved about the stories we received, I mean, some of them, there are some really hard things that people share about job loss, about working as a physician. Um, Yeah, just there's some heavy stories. But then there's also stories of daily bread and the Lord's provision with patients and families while we're home together. Um, conviction of sin in the midst of this time. And I think it's really neat to see those stories too, even if this nothing dramatic is happening to you in this season, um, to still take time to record the way the Lord is faithful and showing grace and mercy. Yeah, that's, it's great stuff. It's great to hear the stories. And I think it sheds light on us and teaches us how to tell our stories as well. Yeah. So without further ado, here are some new city stories. Good evening. It's Good Friday 2020. My name is John Cafardi. I live in Norwood. Currently, I work as an infectious diseases physician at the Christ Hospital in Cincinnati. Um, How has this changed my life? Um, Very, very profoundly. Um, Work is dramatically different. Um, Hospital is ghostly quiet, uh, apart from our pathogen isolation units, which are really unreal. Um, they, they look like an outtake from a movie. Um, this disease seems to have affected families um, much more than other diseases. We see a lot of uh, husbands and wives or parents and children hospitalized together. And uh, it's really heartbreaking when I contrast that with coming home and seeing my family, my kids who are just loving being out of school. 
um, and seeing so many families and people walking and enjoying time, uh, it really is a surreal thing. How do I see God in my life? Um, I'm able to carry on. Uh, I continue to pray to be steadfast, uh, to be faithful, um, to just keep showing up. Um, and what happens after that, I, I trust in him. I thank him, uh, thank God so much for the peace that I've had, for the health and the safety that has been provided to me, to my coworkers, to my family. Um, continue to trust and just keep coming back. Thank you for letting me share and uh, have a blessed Easter. Hi there, my name is Grace Wu and my family lives in Kenwood. Um, the coronavirus has changed our lives in probably the same way as it's changed yours. Um, we are all home together 24 seven. And although there are some wonderful moments like um, nightly family dinners, which we probably haven't had in a decade or so, um, and family walks around the neighborhood, um, we've also had to adjust to our house being a complete disaster. Dishes have piled up, toys and homework is strewn about, and my kids are on devices way too much, um, way more than I care to admit. Um, but I have seen the Lord at work in my own heart mainly. Um, this week, Seth and I were out in the backyard pulling weeds and he said, mommy, weeds are like sin, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, buddy, um, they are. And um, I've seen the Lord weeding out a lot of my sin in this process. Um, it hasn't been pretty and it's painful actually, um, but I've been seeing a lot of my own discontentment, my impatience, my neediness, my grumbling, complaining, my unresilience. <laughs> Is that even a word? I don't know. Um, of course, my own selfishness, my ingratitude and um, my inner rebellion, just wanting to buck this in. Um, and I've been seeing how much I idolize my busyness and my full calendar. Um, I hate being bored. Um, but in the midst of all this, feeling pretty disappointed in myself, I heard a podcast by Tim Keller on Psalm 11. And he said that God is like a lumberjack. Um, this lumberjack is coming to cut down trees, but he sees a mama bird building a nest up in one of the trees. The lumberjack decides to shake the tree and rattle the bird and the bird flies off to another tree. Well, the lumberjack pursues the bird and shakes every tree and rattles her out of every tree she lands in until she finally lands on a rock and is safe. Um, and Tim Keller says, God is like that lumberjack who is shaking us um, to save us and not just to rattle and startle us. Um, and I've been taking great comfort in that um, or trying to cling to that at least that God is doing this for my good and for his glory um, and that I am his beloved. 
Um, this isn't fun for anybody, especially for an extrovert. Um, it is not good to confine an extrovert, but, um, and I've been feeling like I've been deflating um, and shriveling up a little bit um, in all of this, but I have to remember that God is that good lumberjack um, shaking me to um, save me. So I hope that's encouraging to you as it was to me, and I sure miss you, New City. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Marginalia. For show notes or for more information about New City Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at newcitycincy.org. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for listening.